Thanks for joining us today. We believe God is going to do great things in your life and we want to hear about it. Send us your story at mystory@summitsa.com and let us know what he's done for you through this ministry. If you'd like to partner with us or bless us with a financial gift, go to summitsa.com and give an amount that works best for you. Now enjoy the message and have a blessed day. St. Paul often relates spiritual truth to military terminology. San Antonio is a military town, and the Bible is a military book in many, many ways. Paul tells Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds aggressive to me. That means life will not always be easy. There'll be some challenges and many difficulties to overcome if you're going to live a full life. So he says, fight the good fight of faith. Then he says, endure hardness as a good soldier. Everybody that's watched a combat film, everybody that comes from a military family, everybody that's been in the military understands everything in military life is not easy. There will be a lot of times life is hard. Marriage can be hard. Business can be hard. Relationships can be difficult. Achieving a dream can be full of potential hazard and difficulties. And sometimes it just plain old hurts. So his advice to you and I is, don't quit, but learn to endure hardness as a good soldier if you're going to win the war. Then he says in 2 Corinthians 10, 4, The weapons of our warfare are not physical, but they're mighty through God to pulling down strongholds. And then he admonishes us in 2 Corinthians 2, I don't want you to be ignorant of the enemy's strategies, that is, Satan's war plan for you. You may not get, you may get tired of fighting the enemy, but he does not get tired of fighting you, and nor will he. That's why you have to be vigilant, sober-minded. You have to be able to take a difficult time, and you should not be ignorant of his devices to distract and destroy people. He hasn't had a new idea since the Garden of Eden, and because the ones he's using work just fine. So let's don't be ignorant of his schemes and devices and get trapped. So this morning, I'm going to take spiritual truth and put it in the context of military terminology. I'm going to borrow my concepts from Admiral William McRaven. He was part of SEAL Team 3. Later, he would be in charge of all SEAL teams and all special op forces in the United States. In a speech to the graduates at the University of Texas, May 16, 2014, and I heard it, he talked about finding courage to change the world. And when I listened to that, I said, I'm going to take that truth from Navy SEALs and put that right into the context of spiritual living and spiritual life. And so I'm going to do it this morning because he talked about some keys that were very vital to anybody that wants to succeed or lead in an environment of constant stress, chaos, failure, and hardship. Welcome to life. Yes, how about a good amen? It is. It's a lot tougher than you thought it was, isn't it? So point number one, if you want to change your world, start by making your bed. 
During basic training, the first thing SEAL instructors would inspect was your bed. If you did it right, the corners would be square, covers pulled tight, pillows centered just under the headboard, extra blanket folded neatly at the foot of your bed. That was simple, it was mundane, but every morning you made that bed to perfection. And by making that bed every morning, you've accomplished the first task of a day. It gives you a small sense of pride, and it encourages you to do another, and then another, and another. Making your bed, as simple as it sounds, reinforces the fact that you're going to need in life little things matter big time. If you can't do little things right, you will never do big things right. If you're negligent of the small, you'll be negligent of the large. So don't cut corners and don't take shortcuts. Zechariah 4 verse 10 says, don't despise the day of small beginnings. Your faith in God involves a lot of small things. When you get up in the morning before anything goes wrong and you give thanks to God for a new day, for life, for being able to breathe, just a small thing, but you've started your day with God. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. It's a small thing, but I am recognizing and admitting I'm not starting this day in my own strength. I'm acknowledging that God is my strength, and He'll be my strength throughout the day. A relationship with God is not a lot of big things. It is a whole lot of little things. Same for your marriage, for your health, for your finances. No wife ever says, I want a divorce, Bill, because you won't buy me a five-carat diamond ring. No, no, no. It's usually, he doesn't talk to me. He's never home. We never do anything together. And as a re you'd say, well, those are small things. Yep, and behind them, over a period of time, it adds up until finally there is a major disaster. Small things matter. Little choices in your health each day result long-term later in life to lousy health. Just little things, just little things. Well, what's that going to hurt me today? It ain't just today, baby. It's that you do it every day. And as a result, it adds up. I told somebody, I think, a couple of years ago in a sermon here, if you ate a candy bar and all of a sudden your rear end grew one inch, you'd throw it down and run like it was a copperhead rattlesnake. But it doesn't happen like that. You don't even notice it. It's just slow as you sleep, little by little. The pants don't fit. Everything's tight, little by little. And one day you wonder, what happened? See, nobody has a plan to end up in life lazy, ignorant, uh, dumb, uh, uh, unemployed. But when you don't have a plan, that's what happens. So you got to learn to do these little things. Shine your shoes. Get your gig line in straight. Think everything important. They're small. Take out the trash. You know, do the little things and do them well, and big things start to happen. Luke 16, 10, this is Jesus. He that is unfaithful in a little will be unfaithful in much. See, if you can't be trusted now with a small income, you won't be trustworthy with winning the lottery. If you can't be trusted now with a small responsibility, don't look for a title and a parking place with your name on it. 
No, no, you start with small things and you're faithful with a little. God says you'll be faithful with much. But if you're unfaithful in a little, you'll be unfaithful in much. So if you want to change the world, start by making your bed. Do little things well. And if it's all you've got, do them, but do them great. Pick up the trash, fix that spot, clean that up, pick that up, straighten that up. Your closet, your room. That's for all the teenagers <laughs> and for the parents who need reinforcement. Second principle, if you want to change the world, find somebody to help you paddle. During SEAL training, students are broken down into boat crews. Every day they have to paddle through the surf zone and then paddle several miles down the shore. In the winter, surf can reach up to 8 to 10 feet high. So everybody, everybody has to dig in to make it. For the boat to make it to its destination, everybody in that boat has got to paddle. See, it takes teamwork to make a dream work, but teamwork only works if everybody on the team works. Hey, this church family is a team, just like your family is a team. And its potential is never going to be realized as long as 80% ride but don't paddle. So we need people to paddle if we're going to reach our full potential. Giving, serving, caring, loyalty, commitment. You can't win without that. Everybody's got to do their fair share. Everybody's got to paddle. So you can't change the world alone. You're going to need help. Uh, Alex Haley, who wrote the book Roots, has a picture in his office of a turtle on a six-foot fence post. And under it is a caption, if you ever see a turtle on a fence post, you know he didn't get there by himself. <laughs> and you won't get where you're supposed to go alone. You are going to need help. And you're going to need it more than you realize. Sam Chad, who was here uh, months ago, talked about who's holding your ladder. And those people that hold your ladder are key to your success. And if they're no good, you can't climb very high. And the higher you go, the more unstable a ladder is, the more significant the people become who hold that ladder. Are they easily offended? Can they be corrected? Are they teachable? Can you count on them to show up? Well, I'll be there if it don't rain. I'll be there if something else doesn't happen. Can't, you can't go far like that. So everybody in that boat, in that surf, has got to be doing their job in paddling. And life is better together. It's a fact. You don't want to go through life alone. There's going to be a day your doctor will give you some bad news. Unexpected shocking, or a company lets you go, or a spouse files for divorce. On that day, you better have somebody to team up and paddle with you. Marines are taught in basic training, you never dig a foxhole for one person. Air Force fighter pilots know you never leave your wingman. And there will be days you're going to need somebody else's foxhole, somebody else's help. Woe to the person who's alone, who's disconnected. Tragic. Ecclesiastes 4, 9. Two are better than one. Genesis 2, verse 18. It's not good for man to be alone. 
Hebrews 10, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. So whatever bad you may be going through, whether it's my bad, your bad, or it's bad, whatever bad you're going through, you do not have to handle it by yourself. Like a SEAL boat team, you need to be part of a group. Get in a connection small group. Get on a team. It's that important. And it won't mean much until the day you get the bad news, until the day you hit the strong surf. And then you're going to wish you had somebody to help you, somebody to come alongside and strengthen and encourage you. And it better be somebody who knows how to paddle. So you want to change the world? Good. Make your bed. Do little things great throughout the day. And recognize you're not going to succeed alone. You're going to need help in life paddling. Third principle, if you want to change the world, measure a person by the size of their heart and will to win, not the size of their flippers. After a few weeks, McGraven said, out of 150 men, we were down to just 35. The best boat crew was made up of the little guys. No one was over 5'11". They out-paddled, out-ran, out-swim all the other boat crews. The big guys had been making fun of their tiny flippers. They put on their tiny feet. He said, but SEAL training was the great equalizer. Nothing mattered but your will to succeed. Not your color, not your ethnic background, not your education, not your social status, but the size of your heart and the will to win. And that will to win will be talent that's neglected every single day. Somebody will out-train you, out-discipline you, outlast you, and you've got more talent, but they had more will to win. There's probably more untapped, unused potential in this room. It would be shocking to know how much. How much will to win is in you. See, God wants to kill the quit in every one of us. It doesn't exist in the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 27. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God loves to pick up the overlooked, the marginalized, the outcast, the rejected, the one who nobody would dare think about using, and he loves to use them in the kingdom because it mocks the fact that God needs your strength or your IQ or your pretty figure or your wealth and income. God can take nothing and make something out of it. He can kill a thousand men with the jawbone of a donkey. He can take a prostitute named Rahab and put save, a, save his army and birth Messiah through her womb. God just loves to pick people you don't like. They didn't vote the way you did. They, they, they're different than you. They don't have what you have. They didn't come from your zip code. They don't live in your gated community. And maybe they don't even have a GED. But God somehow, because of what's in the heart, uses them. And uses them magnificently. I like it myself because it means I've got a shot. That's what I like. You know, I, I, I like the fact. 
Ecclesiastes 9.11, Solomon says, The race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong. Principle number four, if you want to change the world, keep moving forward. Keep moving forward. During uniform inspections, SEAL instructors look for any flaw. All brass has to be polished, boots shined, your gig lines straight. Students are punished for small infractions. A smudge on a belt buckle, a shoe untied, something not quite straight in the gig line. And for failing uniform inspection, the student has to run out into the cold surf zone and then wet from head to toe, roll around on the beach until every part of his body is covered with wet sand. You become what seals call a sugar cookie. And you stayed in that uniform the rest of the day, cold, wet, and sandy. A lot of students could not accept the fact that all their effort was in vain, that no matter how hard they tried to get the uniform right, it was unappreciated. So they quit. And that was the object of the game. Quit. How much quit is in you? They didn't understand the purpose of the drill. You were never going to succeed. They're not going to let you. You would never have the perfect uniform. And you need to know in the kingdom and in life, life is never going to be perfect. There are no perfect jobs. There are no perfect marriages. There are no perfect people. It ain't going to go, and no perfect churches because you're here. You'd mess it up, see? It's just not possible. And you need to know that from the outside. And sometimes, no matter how hard you try, how much you prepare, how well you perform, you still end up a sugar cookie. You did your best, but the business didn't make it. You did your best, but the marriage didn't make it. Welcome to sugar cookie land. Everybody goes there. And sometimes life works that way. And sadly... Most people just quit. You know, the enemy is relentless. He knows your weak spots. And the whole idea of the persecution and the pressure and the discouragement is to see if he can make you quit. He can't damn you. You're already redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. But if he can take you out of your purpose, he just benched God's potential to have you make a difference in the world. And so he will push and push to find that quit in you. Life is never going to be perfect. And unfortunately in America, quitting seems to be the normal part of life. Paul put it this way in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 8. We're pressed down on every side by trouble. See, he knows what you're talking about. But we're not crushed or broken. We're perplexed, don't know what in the heck's going on, but we do not quit. So if you want to change the world, quit sucking your thumb and drinking Maalox and get over being a sugar cookie and get back up and keep moving forward. Don't quit. Everybody gets to be a sugar cookie every now and then. Everybody fails. Everybody feels like quitting, but you don't. That's why the Bible says, though the righteous man falls seven times, the Lord will get back up eight. 
Just get in no sin to fall down. Get back up. Get back up. Resiliency, or I like to call it grit, G-R-I-T, guts, resilience, initiative. Guts, resilient, initiative, tenacity. How much grit do you have in you? See, I think church is way too nice. It's clean, it's pretty, the decorations, the light are pretty, the seats are pretty, everybody's pretty, and then you go back out into a filthy, nasty world where it's pure hell. It is, it is a battle zone. When you were born again, you weren't dropped into the nursery. You were dropped into battlefield earth. Put on the whole armor of God. We are in combat. And ain't nothing easy but quitting. Which is why most people do. Fifth principle. If you want to change the world, don't be afraid of the circuses. Now, for Navy SEALs, every day you are challenged with multiple physical events. Long runs, long swims, obstacle courses, push-ups, sit-ups, pull-ups, and each event has a quota you must reach and a time limit to meet it. If you fail to, com- to meet those conditions on that day, by the end of that day, you were put on a list the SEAL instructors call the circus list. So after everybody else is dismissed, gets to go back to the barracks and take a shower and get some food, you got to stay for two more hours of calisthenics designed to wear you down, to break your spirit, and force you to quit. The whole idea of SEAL training is to get as many quitters out as quick as possible. That's the whole idea. So if you're going to take your feelings into your purpose, into marriage, into business, into a dream, and they're tender, and you're easily offended, and you're easily discouraged, hey, let me suggest to you right now, don't get married, don't have kids, don't get a job. Just draw unemployment, okay? Just draw unemployment, because that's about as good as it's going to get for you the rest of your life. All right. But what they discovered was that the students who constantly stayed on that circus list got stronger and stronger. The pain of the circuses built inner strength and physical resiliency. They were getting tougher, better, more dangerous, meaner through all that extra physical work, which was lifting them to a much higher level. Now, God's given us as believers remarkable promises. When we're weak, He is strong. There are times in life when we feel like we can't make it, we don't measure up, but when you can't, He can. And when you come to the table, God isn't looking at what you bring. He brings strength into my weakness. He's looking at what He brings into the equation. And in life, there are going to be many painful moments that you didn't expect, didn't see coming. Moments you feel like, I'm not going to make it. But God's promise is, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Pain builds strength and resiliency in training and in the real world. And remember this, you will never go higher in life than your pain threshold, ever. I don't care if it's business, if it's leadership, if it's marriage. You will only go as high as your pain. And some of you, your pain threshold is a a bee flying by you. Uh, 
You got, I mean, you got to be able to take more pain than that to get anything in life. So you got to increase that pain threshold where you can say, I've been to this rodeo before. This is nothing. I remember uh, I get my annual physical and blood test, and they draw about eight, and the guy, the, guy, the, the male nurse that was doing it was trying to prepare me. And, and I finally just interrupted him, and I said, Hey, Jack, I've been to this rodeo for 73. Stick the sucker in there. If you can't do it, I'll do it myself. I don't need you to stick it in there. I won't cry. I won't move. I've had them jabbed into my shoulder. I said, it, it, your pain threshold's got to come up. It has got to. I've, I have a dentist friend who says, Rick, there's two preachers that come here, and they cry like babies when I do their teeth. <laughs> and they're going to be talking to you about spiritual warfare. Yeah. <laughs> I would suggest I ain't following you. Now, you think about what I just said. You will never rise higher than your pain threshold. But you can increase that. And that's how these disciplines come in. You get tough. You get tough and you get tougher and you become more of a threat to the enemy. You become more dangerous because you've already been in combat. You've already been through it. You know what worked, what didn't work. You know where your weakness was. You know how to shore up that strength. And now you're getting tough. So pain builds strength and resiliency. If you want to change the world, don't be afraid of the circuses. Endure hardness as a good soldier. That's a mandate of Scripture. Well, I'm not going back. I had trouble parking. Well, I'm not going back. Somebody didn't speak to me. Well, they got our seat. Don't they know we've been coming? That, that We always sit there, and they sat there. Now, I tell you what, I could look at your resume. It's going to be as blank as this paper right there. That's it. You'll be a tumbleweed. You'll be changing jobs all the time, relationships, and wives or husbands. Or churches like underwear. You just keep changing them. Sugar cookie. Can't take a bad day. Get out of life. Number six, don't back down from sharks. Don't back down from the sharks. To pass SEAL training, there are a series of long swims. One joy to the world is the night swim. And the waters of the Pacific off San Diego where this training occurs are inhabited by many species of sharks. One, of course, is the great white. And the instructors joyfully tell the SEAL candidates, no one has recently been eaten. <laughs> You're taught if a shark begins to circle your position, Stand your ground. Do not act afraid. Do not swim away. If the shark darts towards you, punch him in the snout, and he will turn and swim away. That means spiritually in this world, we believers have an adversary. He's come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He roams around seeking whom he can devour. And here's what Peter says, 1 Peter 5, whom resist steadfast in the faith. Stand against that adversary. Don't cut and run. Stand your ground. James 4, verse 7, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Now, if somebody was mugging you or trying to steal your purse, you would resist. And my thinking is, would you just resist once or would you just keep resisting until you lost or won? You're going to stay in the fight. 
So some people say, well, I prayed about it last week, but nothing's happened. Well, keep on resisting. Keep on fighting. Keep on st- Listen to Ephesians 6, 13. I know you don't want this one. Having done everything to stand, stand. Now, here's an American. Give me a shot for that. Give me a pill for that. I don't want that pain. Make it go away. Quick. Give me a six-second prophecy or prayer. Shabba, baba, lululu, blah, blah, whatever. Make it go away. I've been broke, misspending money for 22 years. Uh, uh, I, I'm going to pay my tithe today, and I'm believing in 30 days all my mortgage will be paid off, all my debts will be paid off, and I'll be rolling in money. You an idiot. <laughs> that ain't going to happen like that. 20 years you've had a lousy marriage because you've been neglecting and mistreating your wife. You come, you finally say, I'm going to give my heart to Jesus. I'm going to get somebody to pray for me. Uh, I don't want to lose my marriage. And your wife, when you go home, still hates you. Yeah, you spent 20 years building that up. One day at the altar and a prayer ain't going to change that. You're going to have to change your whole behavior, and you're going to have to be in it for the long haul. I mean, I've been in this thing a long time. People are nuts. Religious people are nuts. I'd rather pray for somebody on the street than pray for some Christians who have been recycled and recycled and recycled, who keep thinking, I can just do, I can just sow for 20 years and it's all over. And you can get saved in a second, but the consequences of bad choices are not going to go away in a day. Not in a day. You got to be in it for the long haul. I can change the future, but I got to stay in this program and move with God, making good choices to kind of sow my way out of it. But it's not a quick fix. I don't know why people talk about it. Having done all the stand, that means you've done everything. If you've been hit with stage four cancer, you got prayer. You've been anointed with oil. People, the prayer team is lined up praying for you every day. You're making good confessions from the Word. You're getting good medical treatment. You're taking the best advice from the best specials. You're doing all you can, having done all to stand. Now what? Stand. Don't you hate that? Well, shoot, I'm just going to go home. No, no, stand. Keep standing. It ain't over till you take your last breath. It's not, stand. Keep standing. And that's, the, that's what Christians don't do. They don't have much endurance. So, amen. So if you want to change the world, don't back down from sharks. Face the bully. Face the opposition. Face the fear. And number seven. If you want to change the world, you've got to learn to be your best in the darkest moments. In SEAL training, those SEAL cadets are dropped off outside a harbor, and they have to swim underwater for two miles towards an enemy ship. All they have is a depth gauge on their wrist and a compass. Some light comes through the water, but as they approach this large ship, it casts a dark shadow, and it blocks out almost all light. It's so dark, you can't see your hand in front of your face. Now you feel terribly alone, but you've got to put an explosive charge under the keel of that ship in total darkness. And every seal knows that under the keel, at the darkest moment of the mission, is the time you've got to stay calm and composed. When all your tactical skill, all your training, all your physical power and inner strength has to be brought to bear at the darkest moment. And the temptation is to panic, get disoriented, don't know if I'm upside down, and you feel completely alone. So you've got to be your very best 
in your darkest moment. The first thing you learn in water safety instruction when I was trained, don't panic. Nothing about your strokes, don't panic. Jim, you flew, I flew. He flew in Vietnam with helicopters. I flew fixed-wing aircraft. My point being, first thing you learn, you don't panic, no matter how catastrophic it is. And here's what's interesting. I watched films when I was doing the Air Force training of test pilots testing new aircraft, strange designs, to see what their weaknesses and strengths were. And so they're testing them to find out what could go wrong. And some test pilots lose their lives. But in every film, whether they lost control or lost their life, you will never hear one of them screaming on the microphone or talking a lot. They're usually quite calm and just speak in small sentence. Houston, we have a problem. Oh, Lord God, have we got a problem. We just blew half the ship away. But nobody's screaming, talking, saying, oh, my God, we're going to die. Come. I flew Cindy. Uh, I, I can't remember if she was pregnant at that time, out of Jacksonville, Florida, to Savannah, Georgia. And I had the minister, his 89-year-old mother, the associate pastor, his wife, my wife, had everybody on board. And we were in a twin-engine aircraft, and we were passing through 14,000 feet. And all of a sudden, boom, the whole right engine blew up. A uh, piston went through the engine, oil gushed over the wing. I had to feather the engine, and it was quiet in the airplane. Nobody said anything. And I leveled it off, and I reported it to air traffic control. We just lost an engine. Uh, we're level. Everything's fine. And the guy, controller, kept being, what, do you want fire trucks? Do you want this? Do you want to just panicky, panicky? I said, no, everything's fine. It'll, I was trained for this. This aircraft will fly well on one. Most twin engines are twin engines because you need both engines to fly. But this one would fly on one. And so we flew there. And I, I noticed all these yakky people on the plane never said a word. They were just like frozen. And, and the associate pastor sitting next to me, Ray Turner. And I just reached over and touched his hand. I said, Ray, I got it. I was trained for this. Everything's fine. He said later, he said, I felt such peace when Rick looked over at me and said, it's going to be just fine. It's going to be just. Now, if we were going to crash, I'd have said, it's just going to be fine. <laughs> it's just going to be fine. But I, I, I wasn't going to panic. You just have got to. Well, the doctor said it was a lump and it looks like it could be stage three or stage four. In those dark moments, or you get bad news about your child, uh, or what, maybe they're arrested. Who knows what happened? My point is, you can't panic. You've got to take all your training out and be composed, think clearly, be still. God will give you wisdom. God will give you direction. If you've got somebody in your boat who can help you paddle, you'll get through this. But if you get erratic and panic, then you start making foolish choices and decisions. You must not panic, okay? When it gets dark, I've got to be my best. And if I'm a leader in a home, a father, if I'm a leader in a church and bad things happen, I've got to be able to bring confidence to the family that everything's under control. It's going to be all right. If you don't see me freaking out, don't you freak out. But if you see me freak out, run. <laughs> but you never will because it's not going to happen. 
In Genesis 1, verse 2, it says, There was darkness on the face of the earth, and the Spirit of God moved. That says our God's not afraid of the dark. He created a perfect world in the midst of darkness. On a cross, Jesus, bearing the sin of the world, experienced the darkness that covered the land so great it could be felt. God not only created in the dark, He redeemed in the dark. Sometimes our mind will tell us we're alone, we're worthless, you're never going to get through this circumstance, but our God does some of His best work in dark places, in a dark tomb. God raised Jesus from the dead. Isaiah 45.3, I will give you hidden treasure in the darkness. In Exodus, God comes to Moses on Mount Sinai in a dark cloud. When you're in a dark time, God is still with you. Abraham meets God in the darkness. God will meet you in your darkness. Jacob wrestled an angel in the middle of the night. God is with you right now in the darkness of your struggle. Angels announce the birth of Christ to shepherds at night. Isaiah 50, verse 10 in the Amplified Bible. Who is among you who fears the Lord, who obeys the voice of his servant, yet who walks in darkness and has no light? Let him trust and be confident in the name of the Lord and let him rely on his God. And that's exactly what you have to do in the darkest moment of life. You're confident. I love Philippians 1, 6, that which I have begun in you, I'll perform it to the day of Jesus come hell or high water. If I said it, I will do it. You keep your focus on me and my promise, not your problem. If I said it, I will do it. Okay? And there's people sitting all over this room in some dark places. I know. But I'm telling you, there's no reason for you to panic. Let him rely on his God. And one of the truest tests of a person's spiritual life and character is not how many verses they can quote. And it's not what they do in the extraordinary moments of life, but what they do when the lights go out, when things go dark and they have no idea what's going on. Now we find what you're made out of. And last, number eight, if you want to change the world, don't ring the bell. Don't quit. Now, in SEAL training, there's a brass bell in the center of the compound. And all a cadet has to do to quit is go out and ring the bell. Ring the bell, you no longer have to get up at 5 a.m. No more cold swims. No more running. No more obstacle course. No more enduring hard training. Just ring the bell. And my question this morning is, where are you tempted to ring the bell? in your marriage, in your faith, in your business, in your career? Where is it you're tempted to ring the bell? Everybody has places they're tempted to ring the bell, but God encourages us not to quit, not to ring that bell. Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for your labor is not in vain. He said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. So when the lights go out, he's still there. He hasn't left you. Don't give up on God, and remember that God never gives up on you. That which I have begun in you, I, that thing has held me through many storms. I will perform it till the day of Jesus. If he said you're going to have a baby and you're already 75, you still better fix the nursery because God said it, and at 100, the old dude has a baby. And the 90-year-old woman conceives. 
So if God made a promise, and it's Scripture, you stand on that promise, and you're not moved by anything else anybody says. God said His Word is sure. Not one word will fall to the ground. He'll watch over His Word to perform it. You can put that in the bank, bet the farm on it, and live with it with confidence. So if you want to change the world, don't ever, ever ring the bell. You can. Everyone in this room, you can change your world. Start every day with a task completed. Get the small things done and do them well every day. Find somebody to help you through life. Partner up. Teamwork. Know that life is not fair. You're going to fail often and be a sugar cookie. Get used to it. But if you take some risks, if you step up when times are toughest, if you face down the bullies and never, ever give up, then the next generation will live in a world far better than the one we have today. And that's my heart and goal for the next generation. Let's leave it better than we found it, and they will go on to make a bigger and better difference. Amen? Thanks for joining us today, and may God richly bless you. For more information on Summit Christian Center, visit summitsa.com.